I strongly believe in a triangle of tools, people, processes. And these three points are not independent from each other. If it doesn't have to be latest up to date, if your current state is not doing of it. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. This is David Wright, and I'm the host of the Disruptive Innovators podcast. This afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Gabor Sitvani. Gabor, pleasure to have you. David, thank you very much. Yeah. So, Gabor, tell our listeners a little bit about your current role. I am the CIO of uh, Chimera International, which is a global developer and manufacturer of specialty materials according to different range of end markets. If I want to summarize it more further, what we are dealing with is specific metal powders in different mixture for different applications, which is providing a very wide range from aerospace to automotive and medical applications. It's fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure learning more about your industry, and I'll look forward to talking a little bit more about that. But before we get started, we always like to start with what's one piece of actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today? If I can give just one as a CIO, I would say CIOs should think as CEOs with two major objectives in mind. Objective number one should be how can we do it better, more efficiently? What opportunities we have to add to the bottom line number? IT is a revenue department, so we have to act accordingly. Number two is cybersecurity, business continuity. The show must go on, and we have to be the one. I think CIOs are the only ones according around the table who have the ability to identify threats and risk and clarify it in front of everyone and push the car. Everyone else is busy with the everyday operation. We have to be the ones who see a little bit further on the security area, how to ensure the company's future on this digital era where we have lots of threats, cybersecurity that's out there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'll look forward to 
talking a little bit more about cybersecurity in the industrial space, because I imagine that's a big concern right now. I am sure you probably have some insight for us there. But let's dive a little bit into your personal backstory as an executive. Where did you start out? How did you get to be the CIO of an international industrial company? From my name, I think you can figure that I'm not born American. Actually, I was born and raised in Hungary. Between the time, I became also French and only in 2018 moved to North Carolina. I think if I want to go really back to the roots, we have to go back to 1990, right after the Iron Curtain flow has fallen in Hungary. Mm. That generated tremendous opportunities, like endless opportunities. 14, 15 year old at the time had literally the whole world in front, which was fantastic. And as everyone said, it's a great time to start something and you're in your active age or just getting into your active age. You think about what to start with and don't ask why, but I decided to become a newspaper editor. Mm. We did not have newspapers, neither in the school nor actually in the city. Wow. I created a school newspaper, and while I was waiting at the bus stop with all the copies in my hand, people purchased it from me in the bus stop. I made a tremendous amount of money at that time. At that measure, it was a fantastic deal. And I figured that I can actually sell it citywide. So a month later, I just simply walked into the Ministry of Whatever Affairs. At that time, it was called and collected all the necessary information and authorizations to start a newspaper in the city. Every newspaper at that time was either hand or typewriter written. Very few have been edited properly, like a, a small newspaper, so this is speaking about. So I used computer to design my newspaper. And the more I, time I spent designing this newspaper, which had, I think, four or five editions on it, I spent a lot of time with computers and even more. And I became very good at actually in designing the newspaper, all the necessary elements. That set my path as a teenager to deal with IT. And then the usual question which I had in mind, how the thing works? Why does it work? What it does? That was the point which I was unable to properly understand on my own. So when I finished high school, college direction became easily electrical engineering. Let's understand what is inside. I've chosen the automation computer drive processing specialty. So this is where we can link them later on to the PLC word and automation word. It was fantastic programming robots, automation. That was a moment I spent like four hours in a car wash, all wet and soaked, understanding how it works, because that was one of my exam work in the university to do a, a car wash allied automation, which was a pretty interesting time and that activity at that time. So back to the late 90s, I spent a lot of time with technology, computers first, automation second. Very soon, however, I figured that developing computer codes in microcontrollers and robotics, even though it's a fantastic activity and you have to be very creative how to move code into the very small memory of the thing, I felt it extremely limited. No people in it. It's just you and the computer or whatever tool you are programming. Right. That was not enough for me. So. I started my side job to cover studies and additional requirements to spend some money. I started to work as IT support, starting 3 a.m. in the morning, calling up petrol stations to manually get data from the previous day closing. And then at 7.40, I was in the school doing whatever had to be done. So that wow. was a very early start. 
but that gave me two important lessons. One was work hard, but if you work hard, you get where you want to go. And the second is automate as much as you can. Doing manual things all the way and all the way, it's not something that I can do long term. I love things which are constantly changing. If I do the same thing on a Monday to the Friday, you know, it starts itching immediately. Need changes. So as much as I can, I can automate. In this case, I can go for new stuff and new activities covered, which is another thing. So going a little bit faster forward, after this side job near college time, I found myself applying to an IT manager role. And before actually graduating, I got the IT manager role. I would wow. like fortunate to say thank you for everyone believing me at that time and all the way through. I got an IT manager role and the company called Novartis. So it's not a small company, actually. And it was a fantastic experience. I was very young, literally not even yet out of college. They gave me one day to spend with my studies. Four days I had to spend in, in the office. I was able to manage with the university that I was able to squeeze my last year activities into that one day. They were very flexible. My first day found me actually in Spain in an IT meeting. Thinking about the size of a company like Novartis with all the 40, 50 plus executives and then Gabor, 20 some years old, not yet out of college, that was a very interesting mix. I learned a lot, a lot. I was like an open something, sucking on all the information I was able to, understanding how a multinational company works how a multinational IT organization is able to provide proper support for the business. It was fantastic. At that point, I, I understood that it's so cool that I have a, an engineering degree, but it's not going to help. Entry point, the first step, which I have to build up, differentiate and to be able to apply. So at that time, discussing with my wife, I decided to go back to school, working and school parallel to develop even further. And then got the management in studies, management studies degree, and afterwards an MBA. Both these two, both from a university from the United Kingdom. I felt also that the Hungarian education, even though I had fantastic teachers all the way from literally kindergarten up to the end of high school, I need something more than just a Hungarian degree, something more to put down the table, especially in an international area or playground. So opportunities came. I took them. And back in 2001, I was offered with a fantastic dream job, Central and Eastern European IT manager, where I changed it. And I immediately had a much larger playground than just Hungary. Two, three years later, I've seen an opportunity moving to Germany, following an M&A activity of the company I was working for. This is where my children were born. So I feel myself a little bit German in itself as well, because that was a fantastic four years of our life with the family. And another opportunity came to France. So straight after we went to France. Now all these countries we selected to, because the opportunity was given, it was not planned at all. Just seeing the opportunity, so went after. Didn't speak the language, didn't know anything about their deep culture. What could happen was the approach. And very, very rapidly we were able to get them to speak with the language, with local culture, fantastic people we met. Everywhere, never felt outsider ever. It was such pleasant exercise. I don't think we are actually thinking about going anywhere summertime abroad because we just moved back of years country and we are visiting right. country, I think. So back to the professional background. It was a long way from Hungary to the United States, but it was an extremely enjoyable and fantastic 
path, a lot of opportunities, and a lot of helpful people who provided those opportunities. And it came also to Harvard. Yeah, it's a tremendous journey. And just embodied by it is the tremendous work ethic, it's clear. I'd like to ask you, along the course of your journey, I mean, you mentioned a couple lessons as we were going through some of the stops along the way. What's one of the most profound things that you learned over the course of your life, you know, personally, professionally, or otherwise? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? I think that's the most important thing I've learned. I might have my actual parents' point of view of everything, but stay open to even your challenge because not everything is as it looks like. And stay open to different culture as well. Every culture has its own added value and has its own limitation, which is boundaries, which is put on people just because they were born and raised in a cultural environment. So try to be attentive and understand what is the driver of you when you speak with them, because you don't know what they have in their mind until you try to find it out. But once you figure it out, you can fantastically team up with these people. Just try to understand that first. There was a great manager of mine who said that it's good that you speak a lot, but try to listen. Yeah. Helps tremendously. 100%. I love that advice because I don't know what I don't know. So I need to remain open. And you kind of mentioned this too, always be trying to learn in order to remain a student of the world. And I love what you said about kind of about other cultures too, because I feel like as an American born in the United States, oftentimes we can be so ignorant to other cultures. Now that might be a rash generalization because I know that I try not to be, but in general, there's just so much that I don't no, and we are a planet of people. And when you think about the world globally like that, we don't need to be defined by a given country. And we can be, like you said, open to other cultures. And when I've experienced other cultures myself, like even just going up to me, like to Montreal, it's such a different place. And you learn so much and can appreciate so much about different cultures. I think that's a, just a great practice. And it's funny that you mentioned it because somebody who we had on, you know, just a week or so ago mentioned it too. She spent some time working in Germany and just realized, wow, like this is great. And I didn't even know. And she brought that knowledge home to her kids and shared it with her children, which I also thought was really cool. I hope to do that with my kids too in the future. It can also backfire because at this moment, we're speaking three different languages at home sometimes. <laughs> It could be challenging, but it is definitely an added value. You know, in Hungarian, we used to say that you have as many personalities, as many languages to speak, because everything is adding you, not just the language competency, but the cultural values as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, my wife, she and her family immigrated here from Latvia, you know, 1992, escaping like the Cold War era. She speaks Latvian, some Russian, English, Spanish. And her parents moved here. They didn't speak the language and they just made it happen. And now they're a nurse at one of the best health systems in the state for 25 years. And her dad owns real estate all over Brooklyn and is constantly developing new properties. So I have just a lot of respect and admiration for them. And I think first-time immigrants want to provide a better place for their children, but then they figure how much fun it is. 
So they just enjoy the OnlyFans constantly. 100%. So, Gwar, what about one of the biggest opportunities to learn over the course of your career? So, you know, a time where, again, personally or professionally, something went wrong, you failed at something, but you ended up taking a lot away from that event. There are two things I would mention. First, always choose the hardest path. Unpaved road leads further. It comes with harder work, but has much more fun to write. This is something I figured in the primary school, and it gave me the opportunity to just simply reach further. And I had to put some effort in, in it, but I had the time, 24 hours per day, that gives you the possibility to push a little harder, a little more, that gives you much further than just doing it. So this is number one. And number two, answering the, the failure question, every single mistakes I made, something to do with people and relationships. So for me, the most important learning lesson is how to handle people, how to work with people, how to build in subvernic bridges. I think that's the most important point. When you're young, you are hard-headed and you know better than anyone else and you're not afraid of telling it. That's a fantastic, very extravagant approach of letting everyone know who you are. But as previously we said, there are 8 billion individuals on this planet. And we need to respect all of them. Everyone has something to add. Everyone has something they are better at. They are great, actually. From everyone, you can learn something if you wish to learn. You don't have to. It could be a choice as well. But if you take the effort and try to learn and try to listen and try to respect, you get respected, I think, as well. At least I think so, really hope. And just value people and relationships. And that's the most important. As a leader, I think... You can find assets. You can find technology on the market. What counts is what adds that secret sauce to move you from A to B would be the person, the people you work with, and all those personal. Those servers are not going to install themselves. That ERP is not going to implement itself. That reporting is not going to get generated on that. You need those behind who own these tasks. And I think that's the biggest point I didn't recognize enough early enough, those people who own their area of expertise, they had real life and move the whole company forward together with you. So you don't have to be a boss. You don't have to be a leader or, you know, all these buzzwords around. You have to be one of them and get the maximum out of them. You get there, it's pure success. Yeah, I love that. Very well said. So I want to talk a little bit more about what that looks like for at Chimera today. So before we get into kind of your vision for that, we'd like to ask favorite book, blog, literary piece you're reading now, or could be all time. There is a book, which I'm recommending to everyone. And I mentored a lot. Every single one got a copy of this book. And I'm personally reading it, not once, not twice, but constantly, very often. And this book is Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. That's a book which gave me the ability to behave properly on meetings, if you wish, to be part of the conversation, not part of the problem at the early stages by the first read, let's say it this way. And later on, this book gave me the possibility to understand where I am at on a meeting, gave me the chance to read the room 
to understand the direction of discussions and to find ways to jump into the discussion without being rude, without being too impulsive, and find those words, those tactics, how I can not only add value to the discussion, but also steer the discussion without trying to be the only man speaking, which is difficult, actually. Yeah, 100%. And if you have to read that, obviously, English is not my first language. I had this kind of limitation all the way. I felt during the first 10 years of my career, at least, I felt, felt being secondary by not native speaking the language. Now I'm actually a little bit the opposite and I have to pay attention to that because speaking like four languages fluently gives the possibility to, okay, dude, I can say the same thing four different way in four different languages. So, but that's the key. There is no winner and no loser. There is no more or less. We are all equivalent and we share our thoughts. And yes, we can do it different languages. It's fantastic. But whatever language we choose to use, Am I good enough to express myself? That's the only thing. And if the answer is yes, that's great. My accent will never go away. But you know what? I'm full and whole with my accent. And this is how I am. And I actually like it that it's a little different. And that's it. If it annoys anyone, we can continue in any other language. I have an accent on that as well. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I just, I have so much respect for people who can speak multiple languages. I always had such a tough time learning other languages. I could speak Spanglish. It's kind of, it's not that great, but I can understand a decent amount, but just in general. And I love what you said about, you know, what I heard was like not being bigger than or less than just kind of being right sized. And to me, that is humility. And I think that the leaders that I admire the most are, are humble leaders. They just, and, and you kind of mentioned it before too. It's, and it's funny that you mention it because I was talking to my VP of operations the other day about what makes a good leader. Like somebody had emailed me asking for my question for a, a talk that I'm giving or something like that. And I asked my VP of operations, I was like, what, do you think I'm a good leader? And he said, jokingly, compared to, to what? he's like no no but i think you're a good leader because you're in the trenches with us you're leading us you're not micromanaging us you're trusting us as like the stakeholders to and we are proponents as an organization and individually of continued education so if they want to go take a course or something or something i'll sponsor that or buy a book or whatever it might be like i'm just like go learn and that's I do that myself. I try to always be, you know, reading a book and just all great stuff. It makes me feel good about some of the stuff that we're doing from international CIO like yourself. So I think a good leader is raising and that embeds everything what has to be there because as you raise people, you also raise yourself and everything around your company. And people are going to leave you because they find better career somewhere else because you're setting potentially in the chair they want to go. So they go to another company into the same chair, which is fantastic. But getting to the situation that, and this is what I'm searching, I don't want to be the most clever person in the room. I want to be the dumbest because that way I can learn and that way I can potentially add different value what the others have. So the merged value is then much more than the individual's level. Yeah, I've talked about this a couple of times. I don't know if on the podcast or in other conversations with CIOs, but So I read this book from strength to strength, and it talks about how we have the fluid intelligence curve. And then over the course of our career, if we can jump onto this second intelligence curve, 
as our fluid intelligence effectively starts to decline, because we're just not as sharp as we were in our 20s or 30s, like late 20s, early 30s, maybe. But we have all this immense experience and all these learnings to offer. If we can become more of a coach or a mentor and hire brilliant people below us and kind of lift them up, that's a recipe for a great team as well as a fulfilling life for me too, right? Because I don't have to be striving to reach this kind of almost superficial goal that I once wanted to try to reach. Now I'm being fulfilled by giving of myself to others. And it's just a great way to live for me. And that's a return as well. So knowing how much support I get from how many people. And some of them didn't even know just help, just for the sake of help. And trusting in an unknown person because they've seen maybe a small spark of something which was attractive for them. I really feel that this is something I kind of owe them to return to the next generation and to others. And let it be a correction of the scene, a test interview discussion with someone looking for a job or work with those who life puts you together in in the same company gives you opportunity and working with those individuals and then seeing their success is, it just feels fantastic. Agreed. Okay. So let's dive into a little bit about your vision for Chimera. So what is your vision for Chimera and what are some of the key initiatives you are focused on right now? My vision of Chimera is definitely, Chimera has a place, I think, as a market leader. On this particular market, it's a small market, but a very special market with huge amount of players, actually. This is one of the markets which hasn't been centralized and monopolized yet. So it is a fantastic opportunity for everyone on this market. And my dream, if I wish, if I may, is to make Chimera to such an example for the others on the market would like to follow and want to be like Chimera. This is my hope and dream and it's important to know that Chimera exists since 1800, and I'm the first CIO of the company, which is also presenting a little bit how IT is not a priority in this manufacturing market or was not a priority in, on this, in this manufacturing market, and the tremendous opportunity it has, because not doing structure IT, build along the strategy, just reacting for requirements provide such a background, which is very easy to build on. And easy to build on in that situation also means that there are so many things, it's hard to select which one you want to start with. So literally the first three months of my time, I spent on prioritizing what is the most important for this company. And very easily you can find, if you're late into a game, then it's not the mainstream which is taking you. You can cherry pick what you want because you have have huge selection of opportunities. In another world, in another company, I would have said solution X or Y would be the thing we should do. Here, understanding the company first and the priorities of the company, I had the ability to tailor a solution, which is hopefully more than even five years long, give a strategic appearance and value, a tremendous value to the company through IT. I clearly see IT as the motor of change, the transformation. We have the power to transform business. Obviously, we work together with all the other departments, operation, finance, HR, legal, everything, 
we have to go hand in hand. But we have the power to change the most through ERP, through proper business intelligence, just process optimization, process management. If you have the mindset of seeing the process behind an activity, that adds tremendous value. And automate that with tools and technologies. Find the most suitable, most efficient solution, especially understanding the international descendant of the company. You can easily see where IT the most adds value and how IT becomes, it doesn't have to be, but potentially a profit center. I'm not really speaking about technical challenges, meetings, management meetings. I try to speak about bottom line impact. Are we able to add X hundred thousand or million dollar to EBITDA to decrease cost, improve here and there? What is the value we can add and how to monetize it? So my job is to have the CEO and actually think about what he cannot because he's busy with other stuff. So I can automate for him or her the necessary processes. So it is even more efficient, even more rentable. Very easy example. If half of your company is busy collecting data, IT is the best thing you can have because instead of collecting data, they should actually action insights. So give them the bridge between the data and the insight. And those people who are gathering data today, they are going to action insights tomorrow. Just give them the opportunity. They all want to do that. No one wants to gather data, but they have to today. And if Excel is your biggest friend, then something is wrong in that automation. So this is where IT comes in and brings you something which is called business intelligence, which is called a data lake, a data warehouse, and BI on it. So you have insights and clear, actionable information in hand. This is where value is. And this is where I see Chimera being easily ahead of everyone in this market. Because knowing the trends and even seeing behind the trends gives you the ability to be faster than those who don't even see their data. Yeah, absolutely. And it it's cool that you came from a background in automation too. And while perhaps initially it was more kind of mechanical automation, I feel it seems like it's evident that your mind developed as such as, and you kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, like how can I optimize this process using technology? And it's, I suppose it seems like simple as I'm stating it right now, but so often, I feel like we, we as consultants encounter organizations where that's just not a priority or it's not really thought about throughout the organization from department to department. And so it's just great advice and it's a great practice. So they're absolutely lucky to have you leading the charge on that. Thank you. It, I really see it as a, my, as a business engineer in that sense. My primary mindset is engineering. Mindset. Yeah. At the age of four, I was asking why it is working and how it does. So from that to sitting in a meeting and just listening to people, you have the flowchart building up in your This is where you can easily go. And once you have the flowchart, it is just simple how to make it simple. So it is not very difficult to do if you pay attention to it. So for me, it is total natural. Obviously, for someone else, it might not. But it is something which is an opportunity to add value. Yeah, it's a big thing that we're doing in healthcare right now, too, is dissecting all these different workflows that have lived on islands for years and kind of mapping all that out. And we have fun with it. I have a lot of fun with it. It's like a Rubik's cube or something like that. But um, another high pressure, right? Right, exactly. So what are some of the biggest challenges 
you guys are facing as an organization right now. I mean, I did want to talk a little bit about, I mean, we brought up cybersecurity, the fact that many industrial organizations are just starting to bring on CIOs even. So kind of with those topics as primary, what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing right now? I think the biggest challenge is human change management. There are so many things I wish I could change. However, need to be mindful of what is the amount of change this company can absorb. If the head is going faster than the belly, then you're ending up on your nose. You don't want to get that. So you need to phase, you need to plan these changes, and people have to have the chance to digest and accommodate changes. Someone is doing very fast, some others are doing very slowly. So somewhere in between is the pace we should run. Finding that optimal pace is, I think, difficult. The smaller the company, the easier it is, of course. So this is one of a challenge of mine. And the second challenge, let's speak a little bit about cybersecurity. In my, let's call it past life, I experienced a cybersecurity breach, which happens. It's happened to thousands of companies, not just one. And it happens every single day, unfortunately. Not thanking for those who are committing these activities, but feeling with those who are suffering from it. Long story short, you feel you did everything right and fine, and then there is something you didn't know about. You don't know what you don't know, as you just mentioned, and oops, something happens. At that point, you can run off to the events. So obviously, point number one, try to be proactive. Point number two, get ready. Whatever happens, you have to rebuild a minimal set of something so the company can operate. And point number three, think about anything and beyond, which could happen. So you have to be somewhat paranoid. And I don't like to be a paranoid CIO, but a CISO has to be paranoid, but such a company size doesn't have a CISO. So you have to be like at least a couple of the news, be paranoid CIO. (laughs) And approach your role as someone who is the keeper of the gates. Now, in this business, you have furnaces of multiple tens of thousands of pounds of liquid metal, like literally liquid metal, so melted metal. Not only it is fantastic and a gorgeous process, actually, it is to see how the solid metal becomes liquid and granulates. That's a fantastic process, but it is also somewhat dangerous. It can explode, obviously, extreme heat. So all process automation is going through PLCs, programmable logical circuits, which are computers. And unfortunately, in the manufacturing business, I'm working in manufacturing literally 20 years ago. And in the manufacturing business, there is usually a clear line separating the office IT stuff, which we used to call IT, and the industrial technical. I totally respect, especially because I was one of the industrial automation guys, they do a fantastic job with very few, actually. It is a mistake, though, clearly separating the two because... There is a white color and there is a blue color. First of all, it is not color dependent. And second, independent how you see, it is on the same network. You might have different feelings. You might have certain level of separation. You might even have a fire. You are still on the same company network. So it is like, you know, that famous example, I'm not going to quote with the swimming pool. That's the same swimming pool. So whatever happens with this infrastructure, it happens with everyone. So you cannot just say it's not my job. What you can see is let's team up, guys. Let's do it together, at least on the high architectural level. Let's agree what we are doing. It was this afternoon when I got an email. There is a PLC vulnerability with a very old PLC, which can get a specific sequence through the serial port, and then it returns the password 
once the password is returned, if you know how to program the PLC, you ask it to do whatever you want. And if you just move the toggles, you can cause tremendous challenge and problem in the facility, even up to explosion, because some of these PLCs are controlling security and safety features. If this PLC connects to a computer on the serial port, which is connected to the internet, and that computer gets compromised, and someone knows that there is a PLC behind and knowledgeable enough to handle that, you have a small disaster. And the same thing happens with the digital cameras. Manufacturing area, usually lots of CCTV cameras around. Those cameras are usually transmitting signal. In the past, it was tape, simple VHS tape. Now it is more IT technology. Everyone is spending gazillion amount of money moving servers to the cloud, updating them literally weekly if necessary, up to the latest standard, but the security server, which is a 20-year-old Linux most likely, on the internet. So tremendous opportunities, unfortunately, open to those who shouldn't get those opportunities. And while you think you did everything securing your enterprise, there is that camera server, there is that PLC, there is that something. So what I would do, and I want to do and put in place in Chimera as well, is to team up the industrial automation guys together with the IT guys. It is the same sort of Let's work together. And we have bi-weekly meetings, architecture meetings, just started to scratch the surface, but find lots of opportunities, lots of didn't know that I didn't know points, lots of false assumptions, already surfaced, which gives us opportunity, us as a team, to build something which is extremely valuable, much bigger than one or the other side, and we can protect Chimera properly. It's not a one week or a one month activity. It is a journey, years and years. Once you decided with the PLC model, 15 years long, 20 years long, they are running there, even 40 years long, they are running there. They are literally indestructible. So they are running as long as they get electric current. Rarely you are replacing them, therefore you have to be very clever when you architect the solution. But if you're there and ask the relevant questions, everyone wants to do the right thing. I work with someone here who, after 45 minutes of discussion, went back to his drawing board and spent three weeks redesigning the whole solution he built up because of a couple of questions on asked and a couple of, hmm, you're right, let's do it that way. So open mindset, open-minded people ready to action the right thing is a fantastic environment and gives fantastic. Yeah. It's what we're trying to achieve here, what we are achieving here, and I hope that everywhere else, other manufacturing companies are doing the same. People used to protect their area. If you team up, it is still your area, but being open gives you the possibility to do more and better together. And I think this is what more and more ITs and more and more industrial companies are saying. Cybersecurity here, I think it starts here. It's not on your latest Windows update, on your firewall, on your CISO batch requirement. It is how you do your architecture, how you do your corporate activities together with others. This is how I would like to address cybersecurity from the beginning, especially industrial security. Very cool. And great advice for other industrial organizations. And we're coming up on time here, but I do have a couple more questions for you here. Any other best practices that you and your team follow that you might share with our our listeners? I'm a strong believer of ITIL, even though um, IT as a service department should follow IT. I see IT as a revenue department or service department, but we still do service as well. So 
I feel for the service part, I feel for the transparency. I think that's important. It's not a black box anymore. It's transparent and we make money. Just we have to conquer it properly, but we do make money for you to get a bit fuel. This is my approach in that sense. And ITIL gives us the opportunity to, and thank you for that mentor of mine who forced me to do that first ITIL training, because that is making it so easy and so simple to run an IT department, which has proper processes, proper documentation, is transparent, is error-free. So definitely ITIL is the, if I have to pick just one ITIL, it's one ITIL. That's a good one. How about some of the most innovative technologies that you and your team are excited about leveraging in the future as I imagine they're kind of on the roadmap. I imagine you may be using some already, but maybe some of the most innovative technologies that you are using or plan to use to support the business vision of Chimera. I strongly believe in a triangle of tools, people, processes. And these three points are not independent from each other. If it doesn't have to be latest up to date, if your current state is not to innovate. So at this moment, what we are working on is just simply put ordinary solutions in place with proper processes ensuring what people are trying. Because that triangle, if you put too much technology in, it's going to be seen on process or people. And you have to maintain this triangle. Otherwise, it's not going to so even though I love cutting edge and latest, a while ago I am a little skeptical as well because I've seen so many big bubbles blown and deflated. And instead of seeing what is out there, the latest, the best, what I'm seeing is what I need the most to get this right. And seeing it from a process instead of a technology perspective gives the clear, great answer on your technology requirement. Let me tell you an example. I was the one who was the magic quadrant top right, nothing else. I mean, could be the first or the second top right if they're close enough. Now I'm picking something from the middle, let's say southeast. Why? Because whatever is on the top right is 10 times more than what I need and I'm going to need in the coming three years. So I wouldn't invest that amount of money more, much more efficient with something in the middle. That is what I need because it is a tool to reach my objective. And my objective, I mean my company's objective. So the tool itself doesn't have to be the sharpest knife, especially if you don't yet use it to cut something. So what you need is the appropriate tool, not the cut, the sharpest tool. Now, obviously, at the same time, yes, I'm planning to buy the biggest Microsoft Surface Hub. I'm able to put even more on Teams because we are a Teams shop. So everywhere, all of our meetings are happening on Teams, but coming back from COVID, we really want to get people together as well. So it doesn't make sense that we are in the office and all the doors are closed and everyone is alone in his office. I can do it. Come on. Well, let's get together and let's use the surface. And worst case, you just get you know, a mask on if you feel you have a backup or something. But if you are together, let's keep on being together because, again, value is in, in people. And the more people work closest together, the more value. I don't believe in this work remotely thing. It is fun. The best would be doing this interview by fishing. I agree. But it is adding potentially more value if I'm not checking my float, but looking at you and, and have an interaction on. So focus is important. Respect is important. And if you put people into the same room, it adds that additional value, which with a surface hub, I can bridge in also those who are remote for whatever reason. And then we are all together. So that is a somewhat cutting edge. 
and, right. and innovative solution. Love that. And I mean, it's so true. I mean, nowadays, if designed correctly, the technology largely works, comes back down to people and process. So great insights. So Gabor, coming to a close here, we like to ask if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? If I could go back five years, my message to myself would be push harder. There is a reward, but maintain balance. Family, friends, mostly family. All those business trips, half of them were not really necessary. Instead, push harder to change the way things work instead of just traveling back and forth. Spend more time with your kids and wife. My kids are 18 and 17. They grow very fast. Last time I checked, they grow like two and three. So that is something which will never come back. So spend as much time as you can with your loved ones. And while you are in the job, just push and make it happen. This is what I would tell to myself. Love and there that. are no limitations, most important. There are no limitations. These are in your head. Get rid of those. Whatever you want to achieve, you achieve. I feel like you're talking to me directly, like your advice is to me directly. So great advice. Ward, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. David, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on the Disruptive Innovators Podcast. On the interim, be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.